are going to jump into uh, the second week of a sermon series we're doing called Return of the King. And if you guys are familiar with the book, The Return of the King, or even the movie Return of the King, you know, there's sort of this plot line of Frodo going along with this fellowship uh, into Mordor in order to dispose of this one ring. And on the way, they meet this shadowy figure named Strider. Turns out that Strider is really, his real name is Aragorn, and he's actually uh, the rightful king to the throne of Gondor. And as the story points out, the world will only be, be made right when that one true king sits upon the throne. Now, interestingly enough, what we see in 1 Samuel, that's um, the book of scripture we're going through right now, what we see is we see these kings. We see Saul, and then we see David, and each of them is not actually the one true king, but they point us to the one true king, Jesus, who when Jesus sits on the throne, all of the world that we know, all of its brokenness, all of its crookedness will be made right. And so this book of 1 Samuel and these kings ultimately point us to Jesus. Last week we looked at 1 Samuel 16 and we saw the anointing of an unlikely king. And this unlikely king is the youngest of this group of brothers. His name is David and he didn't look like a king at all. And so everybody missed him. But he actually had the most important thing. He had the heart of a king. The key verse in chapter 16 is verse 7, and it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was the prophet who was going to anoint David king, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. This is his older brother. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's a great uh, sort of concept there. Today, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 17, so it's the next section of the story. And this next section of the story tells um, this, uh, this great narrative of David confronting the Philistine giant, Goliath. Many of you guys are familiar with that story. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to shed a little bit of new light upon it. But let's take a moment first and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, you reveal to us not only who we are, broken and fearful, looking at the external, uh, the outward aspects of things, and so often forgetting to look at the internal aspects of them. And Father, we thank you that you not only reveal to us who we are, you reveal to us who you are, that you're a loving Father. And ultimately, you point us to your Son, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be jumping into 1 Samuel. We're going to begin with verse 4. And you guys know this story probably, probably all sorts of people throughout our culture that are irreligious um, as well as religious are familiar with this story. It's this story of, you know, what we would call sort of an underdog versus uh, somebody who happens to seem invincible. And so there are any number of opening illustrations I could have used. If you've ever seen Nacho Libre, I could have used Nacho Libre. I, I watched the clip of him fighting Ramses at the end of the movie lots of times and tried to figure out how I could shoehorn it in. But in the end, I figured it would be better not to use it. W maybe some of you have seen the movie Hoosiers about an underdog team that beats this big team from the city for the state championship. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the 1980 Olympic uh, hockey team, U.S. Olympic hockey team, when they beat Russia. It's a huge story of an underdog. Maybe you're familiar with movies like Sixteen Candles or Pretty in Pink, where a seeming underdog wins the heart of the heartthrob in the movie. But again, alas... I decided not to use any of those, but I did want to sort of holler to them a little bit. Instead, because the story of David and Goliath is just that, it's a story. I'm just going to start by reading the story, and then we're going to jump in and take a look 
at what God has to show us in this story. So beginning in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a, was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Goliath essentially was calling for a one versus one battle to determine the winner. In essence, he was saying, why must everyone die? Instead, send over a champion and he and I will fight it out. And so day, day after day, these two armies lined up on the high ground uh, in a deadlock, and Goliath would come out and issue this challenge. It was while David was bringing food to his older brothers that he heard Goliath issued this challenge to the army, armies of the Most High God. Let's jump back into verse 24. Verse 24 says this, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man that is Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, that is to the other soldiers, David said when he heard this challenge, he said, well, I'll fight him if none of you guys will. Uh, it says that these men repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Again, that's Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if it arose, if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Verse 38, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He looked down on him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So Goliath had asked for a warrior from the Israelites, and to his surprise, out comes this boy. Verse 43, And the Philistine said to David, 
Am I a dog? Did you come to me with sticks, referring to his staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know. And again, the Hebrew for this word may know is actu- can actually mean perceive or see, that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David good story. It's one that resonates deeply with us. We love a story of an underdog. The question is, what should we see in the story of David and Goliath? Or maybe a more appropriate question is, what would God have us see in this story? Well, first of all, I think we need to see that this is a story about fear. It's about us addressing our fears in particular. But let's look at verses 11 and 24. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In other words, Saul, our tall king, and the other warriors that were with him, when they saw this giant, they were dismayed, and they were greatly afraid. They were terrified. In verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that is Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. So the Philistines were the mortal enemies of the Israelites. They were a warring people descended from the island of Crete. They lived along the coast And they often moved inland towards the mountainous regions where the Israelites lived. And in this case, the Israelite army and the Philistine army were deadlocked. Both armies were encamped on high ground with a valley in between them. If either advanced against the other, they would give up that high ground, and then all of a sudden they would be at a disadvantage. And so to try and break this deadlock, the Philistines sent out their champion, Goliath. The text tells us that Goliath was tall, really, really tall. His height was six cubits and a span. And experts differ on what that equaled to in modern measurements. Malcolm Gladwell, the author of David and Goliath, a contemporary book, believes that Goliath was six foot nine. Jewish scholar Robert Alter believes that Goliath was eight feet tall. Other sources have Goliath ranging all the way up to 10 feet tall. Either way, in a world where the average height of a man was about five feet tall, any of those heights would have been really, really intimidating. And he wasn't just tall, he was also strong. The weight of his armor was about 120 pounds. The head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. So Goliath, on top of the fact that he was really tall, on top of the fact that he was really strong, he also was a professional soldier. When Saul was warning David, he said, this guy's been a man of war longer than you've been alive. And so 
these people, these warriors, the Israelite warriors, were terrified for good reason. They were terrified at the sight of this giant. Saul, the Israelite king, was terrified as he looked upon this mountain of a man. And the text uses any number of different words to describe this fear. We're told that the Israelites were dismayed. We're told that they risked losing heart. We were told that they were greatly afraid. They were very much afraid because all they could see was what appeared to be a seemingly invincible foe in front of them. Many of us also live in a perpetual state of fear. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of aging and dementia and Alzheimer's. We look at death and we know that it's inevitable and we believe it to be invincible. And so we live in terror, doing everything in our power to avoid death as long as possible. We're afraid of betrayal. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being found out. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being too much, or we're afraid of being not enough. We're afraid of losing a child, or maybe a parent. We're afraid of losing a spouse. Like Saul and the Israelites, we look out onto the horizon, and we see foes that are inevitable, and they seem invincible, and we tremble. And then, into this story, steps a shepherd with a lesson to teach us. This is not only a story about fear, it's also a story about trust. Look at verses 37 and then 45 through 47. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. This is a story about trust. Throughout the book of 1 Samuel, and frankly in the Bible as well, we're invited over and over and over again to look at what we trust in. Do we put our trust in an earthly ruler? For the Israelites, it was a king like the other nations. Do we trust in tall people or strong people or in good-looking people? Do we trust in military technology, armor, horses, chariots, swords, shields, and spears? In this story, the Philistines are trusting in their champion, Goliath. And Goliath is trusting in his strength and in his stature. He trusts in his armor and in his weapons of bronze and iron, his superior military technology, if you will. Surely he trusts in his training and he trusts in his experience. Saul, the Israelite king, is no different than his Philistine enemies. He sees the world like the worldly kings do. When David convinces Saul to let him fight Goliath, Saul offers David his armor, his sword, and his shield. But we're told in the text that David puts them off. He lays them aside. And so David is the outlier in this story. Although he's just a boy, he's the only one with the courage to face Goliath, this giant. He walks out into the field of battle to face Goliath with nothing but his shepherd's staff, his sling, and a bag of rocks. Interestingly, a sling was a pretty effective weapon, 
Ancient Near Eastern scholars believe that a sling would have been able to propel a stone anywhere from 60 to 100 miles an hour, about the same speed that a professional pitcher can throw a fastball. And there are pictures from 3,000 years ago of soldiers who used slings as their primary weapons. They would have been positioned with the archers in a battle. So the question is, did David simply place his trust in the weapon he was most familiar with? I don't think so. Over and over again in this passage, we see what, or rather, who David trusted in. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and with spear. The source of David's courage wasn't his military training. It wasn't his youth. It wasn't his slingsmanship. It wasn't his position on the battlefield. It wasn't that he was nimble and quick while Goliath was weighed down with his armor and with his weapons. The source of David's courage was his knowledge that God was with him and that God would fight for him. Throughout the Bible, we see the same principle over and over again. When God called Moses out of the wilderness where he was in hiding to confront Pharaoh, God encouraged a frightened and trembling Moses saying, I will be with you. When Jacob left the promised land and headed on a long journey to Mesopotamia, God appeared to him in a dream saying, remember, I will be with you and I will protect you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. When Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, we're told that God was with Joseph over and over again in Scripture. We're given stories and pictures and promises that remind us that our courage doesn't come from trusting in earthly things, but rather our courage is based upon God's presence with us and the knowledge that he fights for us. Victor Hugo, the author of Les Mis and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, says this. He says, have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously accomplished your daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Hugo's understanding of courage in the face of adversity was based not upon human effort, but divine presence. Yale professor Miroslav Volf makes the same exact point in his book, Flourishing. God is awake. What is the foundation for your courage? Is it your intellect? If so, age or Alzheimer's or dementia will eventually erode your IQ. Is your courage based upon your physical strength? If you're a man, your body produces 3% less testosterone each year after 40. I'm 48. I'm a quarter of the man I used to be. <laughs> you might be able to stave off muscle loss with human growth hormone or with steroids, but eventually father time will win. Maybe you exude confidence because of your beauty. Or maybe you trust in your wealth. Maybe your courage comes from being willingly blind to your faults. The list goes on and on, but the lesson of David and Goliath is that real courage is rooted in something or someone transcendent who loves us and who fights for us. Ultimately, the story of David and Goliath is a story about 
Jesus. Yes, it's a story about fear, for sure. It's a story about trust, specifically what we trust in as we face those terrifying things in our lives. The story of David is also about facing seemingly invincible foes with courage, but ultimately the story of David is about Jesus. As we read this story, there are any number of different characters. There are the Philistines. My guess is that none of us will identify with them as we read the story. If you do, however, come up and talk to me afterwards because we probably need to talk. And then there's Goliath. Again, it's unlikely that many of us would identify with the Philistine champion unless it's to realize the danger of underestimating a challenge or a challenger. There's Saul, the Israelite king, who lets a boy fight on his behalf. Unfortunately, some of you might identify with Saul in this way. Finally, we see the terrified Israelite soldiers who tremble at the sight of the giant Goliath. Most of us, when reading this story, we want to identify with David, the hero, but if we're honest with ourselves, and if 20th century German or Russian history has anything to teach us, we have to be honest and say that we're actually on the sidelines with the fearful soldiers of Israel cowering. We just want to know where God is and whether or not he cares about us. And so how does God respond? How does he respond to the fearful soldiers? How does he respond to us? Does he give the soldiers a glimpse of a chink in Goliath's armor, like the dragon's smog in The Hobbit or Achilles' heel? Does God send them an example of bravery that they're to follow and emulate? No. God sends the people of Israel a champion. Remember the challenge that Goliath issued was champion versus champion. Whoever won not only won the individual battle, but would win the war for his people. David is a substitute whose victory is imputed to his people. When David walked out onto the field of battle as the Israelite champion, he wasn't just fighting for his people, he was fighting as his people. When he won, they all won. Jesus entered into the battle of humanity as our champion against our two biggest foes, sin and death. Jesus entered into our war, he faced our enemies as a substitute, and he defeated our enemy. This morning, we heard Rob read from Psalm 23, where we're told that David entered into the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus entered into death itself, and he overcame it for us. That's why, when the glorified Jesus appeared to his friend John, he gave him the following vision that we read in Revelation 1. We read this, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame, a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. When John saw this glorified Jesus, he fainted at Jesus' feet in terror. 
But Jesus reached out his hand, touched his friend John, and said, Don't be afraid, it's me. You're safe. I won. It is absolutely my prayer for all of us today, for all of you today, that as we face our giants, our Goliaths, the things that terrify us, that we will feel Jesus' hand upon us and that we will trust Jesus to be our champion. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is crystal clear, that we cannot overcome our enemies. We can't overcome sin. We can't overcome death. Father, we can't overcome anything. And so, Father, you sent a champion to fight for us and to rescue us. And so, Father, I pray today that we would hear the words of Scripture and that we would trust in your champion, Jesus, who fought on our behalf and who won. So, Father, I pray that that's where our courage would come from as we look at you, our loving Father, and as we look at your champion, Jesus. We pray in his name.